Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally. One that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hard-working communities, living wages, and safe working conditions. So you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year, complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com, and get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, code NY23. It's the Autosport Podcast. We're joined by Gary Anderson to review the performance of the Formula One teams in 2019 so far. halfway point of the Formula One season. We've had 12 races, lots of developments on cars. We've seen lots of storylines evolve. We've seen Mercedes dominate and then Red Bull come back. We've seen Ferrari having a very disappointing year. So we're going to try and make sense of that all on this podcast. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me is the perfect person to try and understand what's been going on, legendary Formula One technical director, uh, Gary Anderson. Well, Gary, what's your overall summary of what we've seen so far, far this year? Um, it's amazing because the last four races have been absolutely fantastic and no real difference to be honest other than the fact that Red Bull have joined the the group at the top Um, disappointed in Ferrari because we all thought beginning of the season they were really going to take the battle to 
Mercedes, if not out to be a step ahead of them. But that didn't happen. So um, I suppose the, the, the disappointment is Ferrari. And the for me, the, the sort of surprise is Honda and Red Bull, part, first year of the partnership, really, um, coming into the play pretty strongly. You know, whenever you look at Max Verstappen, um, two race wins, second, three fastest laps out of the first four, the last four races. So that's a pretty impressive uh, last bit of a last part of the season up to the summer break, and scored more points than than anybody else. So um, championship's not over yet. I mean, it's going to be a tough one to uh, to do in with. But as far as Max is concerned, he's got a bit of fire in his belly, and, and going to Spa with the support he's going to get there, um, that fire's going to burn brightly. Well, before we get into specifically looking at these teams. Overall, there was a lot of expectation coming into the season about the rule tweaks, the wider front wing, the attempt to eliminate outwash and how much impact that would have on the the racing. You were um, quite sceptical, I seem to remember, and you've pretty much been borne out. Although we we should say some drivers have said in the first few races before they re-optimised, shall we say, there was a little bit of 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 an improvement in that regard. But overall... It, it's lost in the noise, really, isn't it? Not much has really changed. Not much has changed, really. No, as I say, it's it's about optimization. I mean, you've got each of these Formula One teams have got you know between fifty and a hundred people uh, at least. The big teams have got more than that, but fifty or a hundred people working on their aerodynamic development. Um, so whenever the the FIA or or the Formula One owners, Liberty Media, write a set of regulations <coughs> that's supposed to f- fix something. They've got you know a thousand people trying to attack it and get and and redo it and rehash it, and that's really what's happened. You know, if you look at the the cars, although the outwash has probably been reduced by a percentage, um, what's happened now is just a little bit further back. The bars board packages just got so complicated now, and they're just making up for that front wing outwash because that, that's really what you're you're talking about. You're trying to get that airflow that's going around the outside of the car to seal the, the underfloor. Um, you're trying to make that all work harder and harder and harder, and the teams are they are not stupid, and they're, they're going to achieve it. So the regulations, writing the regulations to sort of make the cars work in traffic, I don't I don't see a solution to that ever, to be honest. You know, we take go, go to Indy cars, which is a pretty simple one-make formula, and even then they, they still suffer. So... You know, that's easy to control. They've got a big front wing on them. They still lose front end. Um, they go to Indianapolis, they've got a small front wing on them. They still lose front end. So it's it will continue. Maybe maybe be a bit less here and there, but not not overall. Short of running in a vacuum, of course, which will make generating the load somewhat, uh, somewhat difficult. Well, we should say, actually, the point you make about the thousands of engineers trying to get the best out of the regulations. That's one of the things they've done for 2021. F1 have got a little group who are trying to kind of break the 21 rules. So that's an interesting little aside. But even then, that's going to be a small number of people. It's not that easy, is it? Uh, no, the problem with that is it's the same group of people that's, that's sort of come up with the regulations. So, you know, you can't take one head off and put another one on for tomorrow. You can't think in a different way. You've thought about it in the way you've thought about it. And you put together that package that you think is a solution to a given problem and then you're asking the same people to go and find loopholes in that um, that's tough you know because you, you spend all your effort trying to come up with the best possible and then you're saying well okay that is the best possible now go and find something better um, not not that easy I don't know I don't know if it works but you know, obviously they're trying the best they can it's a lot better than the past uh, whenever the regulations were, were written for 2007 I was fairly critical that it was you know what I saw of it was a very basic car you know I think I used the first year student would sort of design um, 
and I'll stick by that. You know, at the end of the day, everything I've seen for 2021 is it's a bit of a styling exercise. You know, the the the, the changes, the improvements will all be in the detail. You know, the, what it looks like from the pictures we've seen um, bears no resemblance to what you'll see, and the detail, you know, is just what's going to be making it work or not work and that, that's that got to be done very very well and even then um you know the teams will still pull holes in it well and we'll talk a bit about the new regulations for this year when we address teams because various teams have uh, been advantaged or disadvantaged by that so it's helpful in understanding the, the shape of the season but let's look at the the top three teams pre-season obviously ferrari were favorites and then when we got to Melbourne, Mercedes took control. Red Bull struggling a bit. Mercedes, uh, Red Bull has come on very strong recently, winning two of the last four races. Almost three of the last four had Verstappen been able to hang on in in Hungary. So how do you how do you explain that what we've seen in this battle between the the front three? I guess we have to start with the fact that we were talking up Ferrari after testing, and actually, I'd stand by the testing analysis. All you can do is analyse the numbers that are in front of you, and that did indicate Ferrari was ahead, and actually, all the teams thought that was the case. Mercedes then, obviously, second test, they had a, a new car, it took them a while to understand it. That seems to be at the root of, of Mercedes' potential not being shown. I think that's more relevant than perhaps the sandbagging thing that people always talk about. So, starting from there, where did it go wrong for Ferrari? Um, well, almost immediately, to be honest. I mean, they went to Australia, and to be honest, they were they were a bit of a disaster there. I mean, it was, uh, what, 0.8 of a percent off, off uh, what Mercedes did. Now, Mercedes went there with a... A lot of new bits on the car. They come to the second week of the pre-season testing with quite a different package, and then they went with a, another update of that uh, to to Melbourne. And you know, as they themselves said, they actually caught themselves a little bit by surprise as to how competitive they were. They didn't actually expect it to be to that level. But you know, Ferrari were shocked. Mercedes were shocked at how it all unfolded, to be honest. And I think it took a little while for it all to sink in. Um, Melbourne's always been a bit of a strange track where you never quite get a real picture of the season from it, so you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But you know, I think the writing was on the wall, um, and then we went to to uh, Bahrain, and Ferrari were were quick there. Um, so at, at that point in time, I think it was probably going to be a, a little bit of a tit for tat season, but Ferrari themselves just fell apart in, in every sort of possible way, and that's been one of the biggest problems. I think they've fallen apart so much that they couldn't really just get a straightforward black and white focus on where they really were. And also, you know, driver errors, team reliability problems. You know, they should have won some races, but should have's not good enough. Yeah, you know, you have to. Um, and they didn't, 12 races in and they haven't won a race this season. And that's pretty poor, really. Um, probably there should be two or three races at least, maybe four or five, but um, they, they didn't win any. And, and Mercedes just keep their head down and keep doing a very, very strong job. So, Ferrari have got to really regroup, find themselves during this, uh, this summer break and try to come out um, both, you know, balls blazing um, come the next races. Well, it's amazing to think how much success they could have had because Bahrain, they definitely should have won. Baku, they were very, very fast. Leclerc crashed in Q2 and then as the temperatures dropped in qualifying, they struggled more and more. Canada, Vettel won on the road but got the penalty. Austria, Leclerc led for so long, they could have won that one. Hockenheim, they were quick but they had problems on both cars during qualifying. So it has been a, a real, real mess for Ferrari. It's one thing to be less quick than Mercedes 
that would be that would be okay because you'd say well you're, that's your level but they've been all over the map in terms of their performances and you don't know on a, on a given weekend whether they're going to be struggling or or in the mix for victory that is the problem you know they've got such a scatter scatter approach to their, their problems from driver errors to car errors to reliability problems to whatever that you know it's very hard then just to put your focus in one direction and the, you know that's what i say they need to really get their head together during this, this summer break because I think the car will be reasonably good in Spa, as it is now. The car will be reasonably good in Spa. It's not the maximum downforce track. Um, Monza, obviously, a low downforce track. Um, got slow speed corners there, but they're a bit different because of the fact that, you know, they're mainly chicanes. Um, so the car ch- changes the directions. Not so critical. Um, so they can come to those first two races after the summer break, I think, and do a reasonable job. I think in, in Monza, they're going to have to do a reasonable job because the old. Tifosi has got to go berserk if they don't. Um, but they really got to have a package together for when they go off to the next races because they're all starting to be races that where, you know, they really they do need to have a better package. And I think, that, as I say, they, they need more front end on their car, more front grip, um, especially low speed front grip. And um, I'm not sure that they've, I'm not sure they've really got on top of their problem yet. I'm not, I'm not sure they really understand what their problem really is because, you know, to rectify it, you've got to identify it. Um, and there's no point just throwing stuff in, on in the dark. You know, you can add more downforce to the car, but if you add more downforce in the, in the area where it doesn't require it, then you just make the car worse, to be honest, or at least not better. Um, so they've really got to identify and rectify as opposed to just firing bits onto it. And conversely, we've had Mercedes that has been incredibly successful. We've had 12 races. They've won 10 of them. Lewis Hamilton's won eight of them. Valtteri Bottas, two. And it was interesting what Mercedes did at the start of the season. The the first test car was quite a, a a basic car. It was signed off in I think November that that particular design, and the idea was that if they committed to to that one for the first test, they could build it, have it ready, and then still have the basically the new car for the for the second test if you want. But that did put them on the on the back foot a little bit in terms of understanding. But Lewis Hamilton said recently actually that it was kind of in the middle of that test, kind of maybe the third day that of the second test that is, that they really started to make breakthroughs in understanding what they could do. Obviously in terms of peak pace they did match by a few thousands difference between their fastest time and and Ferrari's fastest time, but there were also some tire adjustments and that kind of thing that actually put Ferrari potentially a few tenths faster, but by the time we got to Australia, they'd implemented all those all those changes, and they've they've been very 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 strong for for the most part. And just the fact they did that and they were able to kind of commit to almost two cars speaks very well for their confidence, doesn't it? And their ability to strategize early that, that, that this was the way to go. Um, yeah, it speaks well for their confidence. But I was surprised whenever their first car arrived in in. Um in Spain for testing and you know they had the front wing end plate as a you know what you call an inwash front wing end plate in other words the back corner of it curved inwards as opposed to trying to curve it outwards now the regulations have limited that this year how much you can do it but still there's some some effect there so you know I agree with them building their Mark 1 version but you don't build necessarily your Mark 1 version badly You 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 build it to the best of your ability at that point in time. And obviously showed, I think, that they must have been researching front-wing end plates that, that did that, or at least looking at front-wing end plates that did that, for them to actually press the button and print it, make the moulds, make the tooling, make the product, and put it on the car, which was a bit 
for me, that was a bit confusing. Um, but what it does give you the opportunity is, obviously, with a team like that, they can turn stuff around very, very quickly. It does give you an opportunity to have a look at everybody else and see where they are, as well as, um, and get all your package of bits together. And I think they were quoted as saying, you know, there was, well, I don't know, how many, 150 bit new bits or something from Melbourne. No, it was, it was basically, you, you would call it a beast spec car, wouldn't you? And obviously yeah, that yeah. was planned for a long time. It wasn't a reaction to the first test, but that was the... Yeah, it was planned for a long time, but obviously there's still, in the finer detail, um, there would still be reaction to what happened and what, what you've seen. Um, but again, they, they, you know, they've won four, they've won four world championships before, I think it is, yeah. This is their sixth, this is their sixth they're running for now, isn't it? They won five, and this is their sixth. Um, 2014, 15, yeah, 14 16. to 18, they yeah. won, yeah. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is their sixth world championship that they're running for now in, in succession, um, with just that loophole of, of Rosberg winning one of the driver's titles, again, as opposed to Hamilton. But as far as constructors are concerned, if, you know, this, this will be the sixth one, which is a mighty, mighty uh, achievement. So I don't think you can doubt Mercedes' ability to understand and turn things around they are you know focused on on racing they're not they're not although they're a big company and they're backed by mercedes i think they have a good racing philosophy within themselves and that's that's nice to see so i don't think they're letting the you know letting it down by not going racing on a sunday afternoon um whenever they don't do well they're as disappointed as anybody so they just need to keep on pushing and you know i don't see personally i don't see anything at the moment that's going to really disrupt them um I, you know i think red bull will have a a few more good races and hopefully win a few more decent races in this last half um and ferrari i would look, be nice to see them win in a couple just because they've they, you know they've tried so hard but they, you know they, they've just they just every time they turn the corner they just seem to have something else pop up that's, that's that's bitten them and you know they need to be careful of that because you can't win the championship by just not by just not finishing races and not uh, getting you know big points. Yeah, far far too many uh, problems there. And Mercedes yeah. is a is a high bar to, to yeah to very we, very we, very high bar. We look at what went wrong at Hockenheim, for example, where Hamilton had his off and then yeah, yeah. had the the problematic pit stop with the, with the front wing change. Then Bottas obviously crashed, and that was just a disastrous weekend for them. Yeah. But that's basically one weekend. The only yeah, other yeah. weekend you can point to, of course, is Austria, where they were struggling in the high temperatures that meant. In race conditions, for example, both drivers are having to lift and coast for, I think, 400 metres a lap, which is about just over 8% of the lap yeah, length. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was that was very interesting. I guess that tells us something about the cooling philosophy they've they've taken. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily call that a weakness. That was more a, a compromise they chose, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you do the cooling on your car. You've got heat rejection figures from the engine and all the bits and pieces that you want to cool. Um, bit surpri- I was a bit surprised, personally, that they ran into problems with that because... You know, you're working, your knowledge is, your knowledge level comes from the year before and the year before and the year before and so on. And they've had continuity through that period, A, with the regulations and B, with the fact that, you know, they haven't had different engine manufacturers. They, they make their own engine. They understand it all. So to go into that level of, of, um, of a problem with cooling seems a little bit like they haven't really prepared themselves that well. But as you say, if they felt that they were, uh, going to be competitive enough with the car, because of the downforce it would produce with the cooling level they had, um, and they could afford in the race to do this little bit of little bit of lift and coast, then fine. You know, they still still could be competitive because obviously in the, on a qualifying lap it doesn't matter. Cooling is is a relative. You can just uh, run it, it, it. You know, it won't do any any problem. It's in the race whenever it all builds up a bit more. 
So they, they went into that with the confidence that they would have a quick car, be on pole position, and be able to dictate the race from the front and do a little bit of left and coasting if necessary. Um, and as long as you break the DRS zone, you know, get away from the guy behind you a second, then you're, you're looking pretty good. Um, and and as, as you say in Austria, that didn't quite happen. So they had to do a lot more lifting and coasting because the temperatures were a bit higher than they expected. But you would still think that the, the might of Mercedes would be a set of bits in the back of the truck, you know, that you could just make sure you were able to cool the car that bit better. Yes, at a compromise of downforce. But at the end of the day, the race is the race is only one at the checkered flag. Um, and A, you've got to get the checkered flag with a car that's reliable and temperature can cause a lot of problems. And B, you never know what's going to happen to all the others. So you're better to race with a reliable package of your own. And if something happens to somebody else because of the heat problems, then you know, you're there to pick up the, uh, the the big points. But they didn't seem to be prepared to sort of suffer the consequences of downforce loss, performance loss, but survival of of uh, being able to get to the checkered flag. They got to the checkered flag in the end, but still, you know, just didn't have a quick enough car. Yeah, and actually, in fairness, they did make some a few changes with the Germany package as, as a countermeasure to this. So they they tried to uh, to allow for that, which makes sense because it's been it's been pretty hot at times in Europe, <laughs> in, yeah. in, in Europe uh, this year. Now, the other factor in the battle up front has been Red Bull. Now, they've had a very interesting season because they look sort of quite promising in pre-season testing, but then a little bit disappointing for a while. Obviously, the new Honda engine, so we're all wondering how much is the Honda engine, how much is the the chassis. And then we saw in Austria, they had a front wing upgrade, which seems to be critical to have unlocked the potential of this car. And basically, since then, you haven't been able to stop Red Bull and, and Max Verstappen. Okay, hungry, they got pole. I don't think it was really the quickest car there. I think that was them and Max Verstappen nailing qualifying, and maybe Mercedes just being a little bit back in the race. Probably the performance advantage was maybe a tenth and a half, something of that vicinity. So they have, so so Red Bull don't now suddenly have a dominant car, but it, it's it's impressive what they've done. And I think the one thing that's that's clear is because they were so strong on the chassis and aero side before the front wing regulation change seems to have impacted them a little bit more maybe than the others because they had to re-optimise around that and in fact Christian Horner the team principal has talked about that as being a process they had to go through but now they've done it brilliant yes uh, I mean uh, I, th- I don't quite completely agree with you about the fact they hadn't got maybe the quickest car in, in Hungary I would say that the guy sitting on pole position you should say has the packages come together at the right time and if you look at Max's sessions and his laps he was always right in there um so it wasn't like one off suddenly out of the blue <coughs> lap that he did you know he no, had that's, a few that's behind it i think i think they also were much more on top of the tire management because if you look at yeah. it, the the rears they were i think they were struggling with on mercedes so yeah certainly in qualifying trim you have to say they were faster because they were yeah because but all of that counts so you know at the end of the day you, you just got to put that lap together and get there and i, I personally believe that in the race you know different circumstances he, he would have won it I, I as I said I didn't um, I don't know why they didn't pit Max um, because in reality they had a car that on the on the soft tyre the red tyre that got in pole position um, so it was quick on that tyre it ran well um, there was drivers out there on that tyre for long runs and the, you know so it was something that you, you could see was actually still competitive so I don't know why Red Bull didn't get Max in even the lap after Hamilton and put on, because they knew you know, Hamilton going on the medium tyre, so they knew the tyre they'd go on. If they had confidence that they could have taken Hamilton on with the medium tyre, then so be it. 
Um, if not, they could have put the soft tire on. There was at that point in time there was nineteen laps to go or something, so it wouldn't have been any drama. Um, but even you know, a few laps later, as I said, um, you know, lap ten to go or something, the writing was on the wall that Hamilton was going to pass him. So it wasn't as though you were going to hold on. You know, you're going to be caught by three or four laps to go. Um, so then, you know, you, you would have changed it around. Hamilton took the gamble, or his team took the gamble. Hamilton didn't agree with it at the time to pit free pit stop, put on a set of new t- fresh tires, and have a go at catching um, Max Verstappen. Red Bull never took the gamble of pitting Max Verstappen and putting him on a set of fresh tires and letting him have a go at catching Lewis Hamilton. And as I say, they could have done it ten laps to go. They'd probably end up about ten seconds behind him, but with a faster tire, ten laps to go. Max Verstappen's spirits up on a car that you knew worked that tyre pretty well. I think there was a very good chance, that at least if he hadn't passed him, it was still a funny second, but he would have been, you know, right on his tail. And uh, if you could push Lewis a little bit more, maybe the brakes would have started overheating, wearing again, all that sort of stuff. But he didn't put him in that position. But I have to say, they've, you know, the, the developments they did for Austria seem to have brought out the best of the car. Um, and it's just small detail, you know, there's no... Th- there's no magic bullet for these sort of things again. Um, it's just how the airflow affects three or four other things down the, down the car. And just that little bit more downforce and that little bit more consistent downforce just gives the driver a bit more confidence. And, you know, before you know it, the, um, the results are coming. And I'm looking forward to the second half of the season to see what they can do because, you know, Honda have come on strong as well. And I wouldn't have said now there's, you know, you, you wouldn't look at Honda as being the fourth best uh, power unit um, supplier. They're definitely in the mix there with Mercedes and and uh, Ferrari. In fact, Lewis Hamilton said in Hungary that he felt there's certain conditions where the yeah. Honda power unit is is more On par. more powerful yeah. than the Mercedes <coughs> one. I wouldn't say that's necessarily a global yeah. picture, but there are certain conditions where it has an advantage. I would I would have said right now it probably has as much power as a Ferrari or the or the or the Mercedes or knocking on the door at least. You know, we're talking you know within ten horsepower probably. The problem I'd say with them is they probably can't run it for as long, and that's just getting confidence. You know, they haven't had to do it. These last four races have caught them all by surprise as much as anybody, I think. So just getting confidence to keep the knob turned out a little bit tighter for longer um, will mean that, uh, you know, they, they just have that extra power for that bit longer. I'm looking forward to Suzuka. There's always a, there's always a special Japanese little unit coming up from up there somewhere, so uh, it'll be quite interesting to see what they bring to that. Yeah, I'm sure they'll really, uh, really go for that one. There will be some points in the back end of the season where they have to take some grid penalties, though. I think they've sort of sorted those reliability problems now, so that's just a legacy of what we saw at the start of the year. But we should say, you know, you were always quite confident in Honda having worked with them in in Formula One, but the fact that. A few years ago, Honda were a, a bit of a laughing stock. We had all the the Alonso GP2 engine, Honda, uh, McLaren rather, spent a, committed to spending a large amount of money to get rid of, of Honda, should we say. Honda could have left Formula 1, but they chose to go down the potential Red Bull route, went in with Toro Rosso, and then suddenly they've won, they've won two races, which seemed improbable not so long ago. So credit to them for having the ability to keep plugging away learning from the mistakes and there are undoubtedly mistakes made by Honda just as all of McLaren's woes couldn't be based on Honda we can't now retrofit it and say all Honda's woes were based on, on McLaren there were weaknesses there as well, well. Yeah, but, but what, what a great job they've done to yeah, no, emerge have. as a winning engine manufacturer yeah no they have they're, they're a winning engine manufacturer um, you know Renault since it's lost Red Bull has lost its ability to, to win um, 
the the thing about it is that you know it's about working with these people to do it. And I think the McLaren way was wrong. Now, if you take McLaren with a Honda, yes, I'm sure both sides had problems. But when McLaren got the Renault, um, 2018. You know, they weren't exactly the most competitive team in the pit lane, but they had an engine that was the same as somebody else's. Um, so they had a yardstick to measure it against. And, you know, the, the change from McLaren last year to this year is night and day. And that's because of nothing else but the team. You know, the team have made that swap. So if McLaren, some of their good races with a Honda had had, uh, had the car they have this year, you know, things could have been completely different. But, but it isn't. Red Bull have got it. Taurus have got it. They're doing a good job. You know, it's not even just Max Verstappen winning races. You know, there's four cars out there running now, and you're not expecting to see them, you know, smoke coming out the back of them. You know, they're, they're actually, with four cars running, four engines running all weekend, they're, uh, they're doing a pretty good job on the reliability stakes as well. No, very, very much so. Well, you mentioned McLaren there, so let's look away from the, the front-running battle. I'm, I'm going to kind of pair... McLaren, who are a very, very clear fourth in the Constructors' Championship, they've got uh, a very big advantage, actually. They've got 82 points. Um, next in the Championship is Toro Rosso with, uh, with uh, 43 points. But I want to look at McLaren along with a team who are sixth in the Constructors' Championship, which is Renault, of course. We have engine parity between the two. That makes them a, an obvious comparison. But McLaren... This was for me. This was the best they could possibly have done this year, given the problems they've had before. And what it says to me is they've absolutely learned from the mistakes of the past. There was an overconfidence and a certainty that Honda could be blamed for all their ills, and they had plenty of ills they needed to solve themselves, as we saw last year. But they they're now not only is it a razor sharp race team that's more often than not winning the midfield battle. They've been they've been pretty reliable. They've by and large, been able to improve the car as they've gone along. They've dialed out some of the the handling weak limitations that they've had in it. Just everything there is is going in the right direction, right down to the effectiveness of the new look driver partnership with Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris. So for me, McLaren is a is a very very big tick. They've done better than I expected, and as I said, that's that that's the best possible job they've done. No, it is the best possible job. I mean, if we go from last year to this year, um, they've improved by. I, I look at. The, the lap time, 1.3%. You know, I think race points is obviously where the, the money gets paid. But at the end of the day, there's so much goes into scoring those points in a race. It's not necessarily just about the speed of the car. Um, so for me, it's the, how, how the car can can qualify. Um, and they've proved by 1.3%. That's a massive, you know, that's on a 40... You know, one minute forty lap—that's one point three seconds faster. That's a very good—that's a very good length of lap to choose for yeah. easy mental arithmetic. Yeah, it is. It's always, always worked out <laughs> well. But it—but it is a massive change, you know. And, and that is—that's—that's that's what they've done. They've—they've they've made the car better by that much because they've got the same power unit in it. Yes, they've changed the drivers. They've got Saints and, and Lando Norris in it. I'd say Lando's doing an exceptional job for a, a rookie coming into it. Um, to be honest, you know, no criticism. Much better than I expected them to do. Um, and Carlos since is doing a, a solid job for, with the experience that he's got I think um, but the team structure is just different you know they've got somebody in that knows racing and uh, and their new um, team manager whatever you like to call him I'm not sure, quite sure what the handle is um, yeah, and Andrea Seidel yeah, he's, he's had so much success yeah, yeah. he's come from a good background a good solid racing background and he, so he's he's running he's, he's seeing the team and manipulating the team to to pick up that fact that you know you need to do these solid things to run a good race weekend, and they got James Key, um, who I, I rate James very highly. Um, 
Former colleague, of course. Yeah, former colleague, but you know, also just a young a young guy that's enthusiastic. Not young anymore. He was young whenever I worked with him. But uh, you know, a good solid guy who understands understands vehicle dynamics very well. He understands more about how to apply the downforce, the aero map as it's all called, to the to the car to get the driver to understand that it, you know what you're driving. It's not just about finding these wind tunnel numbers, you know, peak downforce and that the driver never can get there, or, you know, bites him whenever he does. It's, James is very, very good at understanding the vehicle dynamics of the car and understanding that you can't just have these peaks and troughs and downforce. You have to just allow it to, to work and give the driver confidence because the driver can find you more lap time than, than all these tricky little bits that go on the cars. If you can give him confidence to just arrive at the corner, turn a steering wheel, nail the throttle, you know, and he knows what the car is going to do because all these guys are pretty good. And if he knows what the car is going to do, he can do it. But if he doesn't know what the car is going to do, all he does is go slower. And uh, so he's, I think there's a car created there now by the team of people at McLaren who were there before, who are slightly getting led in a slightly different direction. Um, and they've got a car that you can go racing with now. So, yeah, impressed by them. As far as Renault's concerned, the other side of the coin, you know, they've improved a little bit from last year, which is it's okay, but it's, it's only a tiny amount. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of 0.3% better than they were over the whole season last year. But it's the it's the up and down bit. You know, one weekend they're reasonable, and the next weekend they're they're nowhere. Um, they're lucky they're getting out of, of Q1. So, you know, something's wrong there for sure. Something's not being led in the right direction. And McLaren must be... Um, you know, they must be looking at McLaren very carefully because, you know, the package running with the Renault engine. It's a bit like Renault. It's a bit like when Renault were running their own engine, you know, last year and Red Bull were running the, the Renault engine. Red Bull were doing a better job. And uh, this year it's McLaren are doing a better job with the same power unit in the car. So Renault need to look at themselves very, very closely and see what's going on because there's, I think it's starting to get a little bit of... Um, bad feeling within the team I suppose knives are right I think sharp well, knives as well expectations are, are sky high as they always are in a in, you know as a manufacturer team corporate entity ultimately signs of checks and if you just compare it to McLaren who've had these loads of sixth place and fifth places they've been sixth or fifth in each of the last five races they're consistently at the front of the midfield the Renault as, as you say has been quite quick hungry is a case in point that car was eminently capable of being in Q3 didn't have either in Q3 in the end. Ricardo spent most of the race struggling through traffic. Hulkenberg spent the whole race in a, in a safe engine mode that it wasn't meant to be in that they couldn't get it out of. So he was losing three tenths a lap. But there's just these constant problems that have, that have held them back and going wrong way with setup. And, and it wasn't that the car's fundamentally slow. It's that they struggle to get the best out of it consistently. They're actually a bit of a mirror image of McLaren in some ways, aren't they? Where you say, well, actually, they're not always getting the best out of it. They seem not to be putting things on that are delivering the improvement they expected. The French Grand Prix package, much vaunted that Cyril Abitable, the team principal, talked up massively, hasn't hasn't worked as hoped. And all the extra attention with Daniel Ricciardo there as well, who's gone in as this this sort of star driver, and it's just almost showing up the the weaknesses. I don't want to be too hard on them because it, it's very very difficult, but it's legitimate the questions are starting to be asked there given the investment and they have had time to be they they should be fourth best this season fairly comfortably yeah i mean you said the right thing there you know it is very hard it's tough um the grid although it looks big they're very close together to be honest you know whenever we look at these percentages if you took a something from the 90s or the 80s the percentages are huge 
um, but it's relative. This is what this is what you're um, racing in right now. Uh, from my point of view, Renault, you know, they got Ricardo into the car into the team, um, probably at a fairly huge cost, which is good. He's in a works team now, as such. But that works team needs to sort of regroup itself and find out what it wants to be. Uh, I don't think it knows what it wants to be just yet. And all the, as you say, the promises, you know, during the winter, it was the best winter Renault ever had. I think it was one of the comments I read uh, as far as development was concerned. Um, that's pretty impressive. And again, the car, the biggest update they've ever done, you know, shows fantastic results um, going to going to the French Grand Prix. And, uh, you know, all that sort of has disappeared into being invisible, to be honest. As I say, they've improved a fraction from last year, but they're sitting still, basically. And um, you need to make sure that at the end of the day, you recognise why. Again, it's the same old thing. You know, if you if you identify it, you can rectify it. Um, but I don't think they've identified it because it goes from weekend to weekend. You know, why did Hulkenberg end up running in a safe mode on the on the power unit? What what's that all about? Was it because he had to, or was it because it, it happened by accident, or where, where is these sort of things at? And as you say, Ricardo running around in Hungary. Um, we know his talent around Hungary is pretty high. Yeah, he won there in but, 14, of course. Yeah, but, you know, just nothing. Um, well, it was, it was interesting, actually, because to use Hungary as a case study, the reason he was down, he qualified 18th and he started last. They changed some engine components. They may as well when they were that far down because they had to make some changes later in the season anyway. But basically, in that crowded last sector, I know I know the big traffic jams at the end of uh, preparation yeah, yeah, and qualifying yeah, is yeah, one of your yeah, yeah. least favourite things, but... He was behind Grosjean and Perez, and he decided to try and go around. Yeah, he yeah, went past yeah. Grosjean, and he went and tried to go around Perez in the last corner. And he said that had they, they need to do a bit better, had he had more information, he might not have made that decision. Now, the decision he made was actually unnecessary. He didn't need to do that, although he's trying to preserve tyre temperature. But obviously, just on a race team level, he didn't feel he was being given the necessary information to make that decision correctly. So he made perhaps a decision that wasn't right because he didn't have the full picture, and it could have been avoided. 30 seconds ago if they'd foreseen it so just all these things on top of each other unreliability little glitches here and there so many things that are that are just um holding it back yeah i mean all those glitches you've got to eliminate them because at the end of the day they've got so much technology these guys now and, and it's it's endless technology you know you could have that you know the lap the um car simulation location on car location on the on the lap you know the teams have one that's got all the cars there from gps so they know where all those cars are and they know that at the rate that daniel ricardo is going you know between turns seven and eight or something and the rate that somebody else is doing between turns 10 and 11 that danny's going to catch him somewhere um and you know you can you can put in scenarios into these these simulation tools to tell you what's going to happen and you can so you can read it. You can't see the cars all the time on the lap, but you can you can do your your simulation live. So you can see that he's going to catch him there, or you can see that he needs to back off a bit earlier, and you know that he can go a bit harder in the last couple of corners, and there's nobody behind him going to catch him. So I don't understand why they're making those mistakes because they've got so many people and good people as well. Good people, but you can dedicate a person to just his job during qualifying is to sit there during any any point in time is just to sit there and. You look at that. You look at your little dots going around the lap, and you you can see where your your cars are relative to all the other cars, and you can also put in artificial stuff like saying, "Okay, Danny, you know, slow down a little bit. Where are you going to be?" So there's so much you can do and give the driver the information. And, and there'll be the, the race room at Enstone that yeah, we're yeah, operating. Yeah. We'll see all of this as well. So again, yeah, just just something not connected, something, something not, not connected. joined up. 
it, it, to me, the problem it looks like it's, you know, we talk about a risk team. It, it doesn't seem to be a risk team. It doesn't seem to be connected up and actually just function. They go and race and, and actually, you know, by the seat of the pants, it's not, it's not sort of racing, with, you know, in, in its correct manner. And I was very disappointed whenever um, the management started saying about Hulkenberg, you know, somebody's going to have to carry the can. I'll be very disappointed if it's Nico because I think, he is an excellent driver, and if it's his little mistake in, in Germany, which obviously the consequences were huge, um, having an accident on the end of a drag strip, um, he wasn't the only one. And, you know, he's also driving a car that's not as good. Now, the, one, the reason I jump into this bit of it not being as good, if you take Ricardo he, in the Red Bull, he was renowned to be the best overtaker. He could, he could come from distances behind other cars and, and break and not lock up and get through the corner. Um, but with the with the Renault, it's the the front locking up is like a light switch. You know, there's no way that Ricardo can drive the way he wants to drive that car, the way he drove the Red Bull, and that consequences of that is slides over onto Hulkenberg as well. You know, the car's the car; you have to drive the car you've got. But it's not doing the stuff that Danny Ricardo is very good at it, very good at doing, and that means that Nick Hulkenberg also can't do the stuff that he might want to do with the car. But you can get into this sort of tranche where you get there and you've got what you got and you sort of have to get on with it just. But it's not you're not you're not taking it anywhere, you know. And they're they're relying on the team picking it up and doing something, but I don't see that happening right now. Well, we should also talk about Torosso at the heady heights of fifth in the constructors' championship. A big chunk of those came from the German Grand Prix where Danny Kvyat was third, Alex Albon was sixth, but even so they've been consistent point scorers. It's the strongest run we've seen from them probably since the second half of 2008 when Sebastian Vettel won at Monza and was a consistent finisher up the, up the, up the top end. Really impressive from, from this team. Yeah, and again, you know, I think the, the, the fact they ran the Honda last year, they were able to sort of reasonably optimise the installation of the engine this year, tidy it up a bit. They've also moved across to now having more of a relationship with Red Bull. So they're, they're a small team but because of the relationship with Red Bull, they're sort of taking on less. James Key was always somebody who was the technical director there before he left and got to McLaren. James was always somebody who wanted to do it um, because at some point in time they might have to stand on their own two feet. So he wanted to make sure they had a, within their own company, they could do everything. Um, so they didn't rely so much on Red Bull. Now they've got Red Bull, you know, Red Bull uh, gearbox, transmission, probably bits of suspension, you know, lots of stuff. Um, and that's helped them, to be honest. You know, they're the second biggest improvement at point eight ever percent as far as performance is concerned as well. And when you look at it, you know, um, I think Alex Albon is doing, again, an exceptional job like Landon Norris is with McLaren um, for somebody who's come in just out of the blue. Um, and the thing that Kvyat obviously has had a, a little bit of a history that it was a bit dodgy here and there, you know, being sort of moved from Toro Rosso to, to Red Bull, then getting fired by Red Bull back to Toro Rosso, and then getting fired by Toro Rosso. It was all a bit strange for him, I'm sure. So head-wise, he's come in with a lot stronger a lot stronger head on his shoulders and a lot more focused head on his shoulders this year, I think. So that's doing a lot of good for them. Um, will he get an opportunity at Red Bull? Probably the wrong thing to do, to be honest, you know, because you can only do so much. He's, I think he'd be better where he is for a while. Um but Toro Rosso, you know, they're, again, they're a team that they've never been that consistent. They've always been up and down a bit, and I think we still see that. They still go up and down a bit. Um, 
But at the end of the day, you know, it's if the ups are better, more ups than there's downs, and it's good the points come. And, and you know, all they can do is keep their head down and try and drag those points in. And you know, the, the car's quick enough to achieve that um, because it's so close in that midfield that you know that tenth or two tenths of a second is, is massive. We should say, I guess, some credit to Joe Yeggington, who took over as technical director. And although he only officially became technical director early this season because James Key was clearly off to McLaren, he was effectively steering the ship from much earlier in the process yeah, with, with yeah, this car. Yeah, so yeah. he's really had to work in terms of optimising and maximising, rather, what they could take from Red Bull. So, uh, yeah, good job for him and his uh, yeah. first uh, technical directorship. So we give him some credit for that. Well, looking at the the other teams, we've kind of got this group uh, battling who are also in the in the midfield 7th place Alfa Romeo 8th place Racing Point and ninth place Haas now maybe we should just put Haas to one side and speak to them in a minute because they're a whole weird thing but Alfa Romeo very consistent certainly Kimi Raikkonen who's almost always in the points and very unobtrusively I'd like to say he, he Raikkonen's his way to, to good results which isn't a, a criticism that's exactly what this team needs and then racing point who have struggled but there have been some signs of uh of progress what do you make of alpha i think with kimmy's um level of experience in the in the car i think it's it's good to see it happening because it will it will give them motivation to drive on i mean they could have had somebody else in there and end up not you know not not really having the professionalism to to actually sort of rely on the driver you know at the minute they know kimmy will he likes driving racing cars quick. So you know when he gets in the car, he will drive it as quick as he can. And that's the car. That's what you've got. And you can see, actually, from watching uh, Star, which I do every weekend, it's a car that's working for him. He can get the car into the corner the way he likes. So he always looks... Um, he's a driver who you, you can very easily see with the naked eye when he's struggling. Because when, thing, when things are right, he drives beautifully. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And as I say, the team can have confidence in him that he will he will be driving the car that he's got at the at the best of his ability and as fast as that car will go. So it's only about focusing then and, and trying to make the car go better. And he will be good at, at trying to achieve that as well. So they've got themselves a good scenario there. They've got the, obviously you know, the, the Alfa Romeo handle, which will bring them some, some sponsorship from people who want to be associated with Alfa and from Alfa. Um, but they've... they've they definitely can move forward with it, I believe. It's just one of these sort of things where the the competition just is that is tough in, in that midfield. Um especially, you know, now McLaren seem to have made that lurch to the top, you know, that's now there's the top three, but then there's the next one, which is McLaren, and then there's you know, the rest. So Alpha can can pretty soon, I think, um look at being in the vicinity of next best as far as performance is concerned. But to get big points, they need, they need to have two drivers scoring points, and they haven't really got that yet. So uh, I'll probably see it, you'll probably see a change for next year that will allow them to have drivers in there to try and drag in that extra point again. Yes, it's been frustrating with Antonio Giovinazzi, of course, we had on our live Silverstone podcast. He was at that point, things were really starting to come together, but hungry, he was really struggling, actually. That was a bit of a step back, and he, he does make, we quite often don't, but he does make mistakes in races that said he did lose an 8th place in Germany and actually that 7th and 8th place that Alfa Romeo got in Germany they lost it to uh, illegal yeah, they yeah. broke the traction control rules at the start Whatever basically is, yeah. uh, they have appealed that I don't think they're going to get those results back they may but that's that's a, an amount of points that would actually see them right up there with Toro Rosso in the battle for 5th which is probably more representative of where this team is I found something out very quickly in my experience with 
motorsport don't don't appeal a decision that the FIA have made because you're not going to win it. You know, because then Eddie wins one race ban, turns into yeah, a three race ban. Yeah, 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 and it just goes <laughs> on and on and on. And um, you know, my protest against uh, Michael Schumacher's Benetton barge bores in '94, whatever it was. Um, you know, I still stand by that, that that it was illegal, but you know, you're not going to win. So it's one of those sort of things. What they did probably gave the the driver a bit more of a window to operate the clutch. It didn't really have anything to do with traction control, but it would give better traction because the driver could do a better job on it. It makes it just slightly that's, more progressive, the, yeah, the application. That's what the rule is there for, basically, to make, make sure the clutch follows the actuator um, because that's the reaction of the driver. You're basically making the clutch react to the same reaction as the driver. And if mm. the driver's reaction it's basically is quick, beyond the permissible lag is yeah, yeah. the problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's been done for years. You know, whenever we had hydraulic clutches, we used to have a sort of foot clutch. You, you still would put a, a little restrictor valve into the clutch line so the driver could just slip his foot off the clutch and the clutch would re-engage over a, a ramp. So, you know, so it's not new, none of this stuff. It's just been done differently. But, you know, as I say, they're, they're a decent team. They seem to keep their, their head down. They, they know what they want to try and achieve. Um, they've, they're probably, you know, the relationship with Ferrari will probably grow a little bit, I would imagine. I don't see why it shouldn't grow a little bit, a bit like Haas has got now. Um, but that, when we come into Haas, maybe we'll be able to talk about that a bit more, but, because that can bring its problems as well. So, yeah, Alpha, I think, are, for me, because they've got Kimi there, basically a, a top-end driver as such, um, they've got a good measure. they just got to keep on making the car better. Force end day as it was, and now racing point. Um, well, that's, that's strange, isn't it? Because I, from the outside, when they picked up points in each of the first four races, including that six at Baku that Perez got, I thought, well, that's a great start for them because we know they're going to be struggling more at the start of the season. And then the investment, the benefit of that with the new ownership is going to really kick in. And so I thought they'd made a good start. But then things really haven't gone that well. Fourth place for Lance Stroll in Germany accepted. It's been It's been actually pretty disappointing from them. Yeah, I mean, more more is not necessarily always better. I mean, you know, obviously they've got more money and they can they can they can instigate more stuff going on. But obviously that the expectations in the company are pretty high now as well. So they've got lots of stuff going on for the future, and that will be distracting from what they are, which is you know, as a, a race team that basically you know were good at going racing. They were good at going racing, identifying what they needed to do, achieving it, and getting it on the car in the shortest possible time for the least money. Now they can have a big plan. And, you know, I think they're not, they haven't got the right structure to have that big plan. It's just, it just needs to be altered a little bit somewhere along the line. Maybe it's because the expectations are driving into that big plan. Now it's a a more solid business, but it's only a more solid business because it'll do well and you need to keep it doing well. And um, if you're, if your best way of achieving it is still the, you know, the, the, their quick reaction time um, because you haven't got the big term the big plan money to to carry out this stuff then that's what you've got to still keep doing you know building a new factory and all that stuff it isn't going to make the racing car quicker you know you can still build a very good racing car in a small factory Um, you just need the facilities and you've had the facilities they've built racing cars all the stuff you have to make all the stuff having twice the size of factory it's not going to make the racing car any quicker. It's the people and the group and the, the research tools you have and all the stuff. So they need to be careful they don't get their eye off the ball thinking, you know, let's be big and let's 
you know, take take on these big boys. Because, you know, McLaren are big. Um, as a company, you look at them, they're a fantastic facility. Um, but still, you know, they, they were able to screw up and now they're able to do it well in the same facility. So you just you don't need to just change all that stuff just to make to try to be a, a better race team. You know, I, I think they're missing something right now. And um the result in, in Germany, you know, for Lance was really good. I was hoping he'd get on the podium, but it you know it didn't happen. But you know, he still held it together and I criticised Lance Stroll now and again. Um I think if you can give him the car that he wants, it probably will be okay. I just don't you know, he's just qualifying just seems to lack that bit of that bit of speed's missing now if that's missing out of the car and um, sometimes for a young driver it's it's too tempting to overdrive the car Sergio's been around for a while so he knows what he can do and he knows what the car should do so he can probably stay within the the car as such whereas Lance doesn't quite know that yet he hasn't got the confidence to to recognise that if I stay within the car's Capabilities. I like to do a better lap time, and if I try and drive the wheels off it, and you know everything just goes wrong, then so um, yeah, a little bit of youth and enthusiasm that's been put in the wrong direction. Well, let's talk about Haas now, which is probably the team that's had the most bizarre season. They're ninth in the championship, just twenty six points. All started quite nicely with with six in Australia, and Roman Grosjean would have been up there well uh, as well. Now. We've seen all sorts of things going on with this team, the rich energy thing. We've seen the drivers having too many collisions. But the real concern is the, the problem they've had with the development. Obviously, they had a big package in Spain. Subsequently, they upgraded again in, in Germany. But from Silverstone, so Silverstone, Hockenheim and Hungary, Roman Grosjean has gone back to the Australian Grand Prix spec, the start of the season spec car, and at times dragged some very good performances out of it, even though he says it has got less downforce, while Magnussen has continued in the new one. Now, there is clearly a, a problem there, and the fact that Grosjean is able to perform well at times, yeah. whereas Magnussen, the pace is kind of all over the map. I don't think it's all driver-dependent, so they've got a serious problem there. They better hope they've understood going into the break. Yeah, um, I doubt if they will. Now, why I was saying, you know, when we were talking about uh, Alfa Romeo there, was the fact that Haas, Haas take from Ferrari as much as the regulations allow them to take from Ferrari. That means one thing, it's a lot easier for the team. The teams don't have to design and work, you know, sit down and try and come up with these solutions to problems. But that means also that you don't understand it because you didn't create it. You, you know, it's, 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 you go to Tesco's and buy it. But, you, you know, that's not what's our Halford's scenario. Go to Halford's and buy the bets. It's the same as Ferrari in a way. But you don't understand what the reasoning behind it really was. You know, the depth of how it functions, the stiffness of it, you know, just the silly little stuff. If you don't sit down and scratch your head at a clean sheet of paper, if you just get it from somebody else and bolt it on your car, that's what you got. So understanding it's quite difficult. And I think they're missing a little bit of that. Then on top of that, they've, they've got a package, as you say, they've developed from, from the sort of start of the season car. And if you, if you create more downforce in the car, it has to come from somewhere. So you're 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 creating surfaces that are now working harder. What those surfaces, where those surfaces are, you know, it could be anywhere. Um, but you're making them work harder to give you more downforce. That's all it's about. Uh, if you change the diffuser profile, or you change the the barge boards, or you change the the vanes in front of the rear tires that's on the floor, there, all that stuff, and it gives you a positive result to give you more downforce. Some somewhere on that underfloor, let's say, you're you're making it work harder. And when you make it work harder, it 
can be more critical to to temperature. So the, the comments that they make is that the the uh, the new car um, has more down, or the new development car has more downforce at low speed, and the um, old car is more consistent at high speed. I think that's the end result. Um, but the new car isn't as consistent whenever the temperature goes up. Um, what they've got is a disaster, basically, because you know it's, it's, it's a horrible scenario for them. They can do that one lap reasonably well, but if you look at uh, Magnussen's um, qualifying in Hungary, Q1 to Q2 is like a second slower, and you know you should be for that for them as a team they should be looking at two or three tenths faster. So it's just it's just like a light switch. Something goes on there. Now I'm, I'm sure that they look after the tires or they're they're consistently keeping an eye on the tires, making sure the tires are used consistently and work consistently from, from set to set, that sort of stuff, because it would be idiots if they didn't do that. But again, if you've got a surface that's working harder and you um, create more downforce from it, it's more critical to to temperature and it will fall down earlier. I think also, you know, a surface that on the old car that's maybe still suffering from some airflow separation problems but not enough to actually be a, a drama, you know, make it work harder and as it becomes a drama and that's where I think they've got themselves to they've got a car that's got more downforce they've got themselves a, a package that just is a bit more critical to um, to temperature be it track or ambient and they pay the price for it and then that reflects back into the tyres because once you lose the, the balance of the car the grip of the car then the, you know, the car starts sliding around the tyres start overheating and so it's a spiral to nowhere but they, they again need to go back and it's I don't think anybody's done anything wrong it's just the fact that you've got limited wind tunnel research uh, time and you have to so you have to cut some corners. And I think they've maybe cut the wrong corners. You know, there's lots and lots of things that can happen that basically means that the underfloor just separates a little bit earlier, a little bit more dramatically um, and doesn't reattach again whenever you get to the corner and hit the brakes. They just need to, to sort of dig pretty deep. But the problem with them is it's, it's just not consistent, you know. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. The the one positive for them is it's getting worse more often than it's getting better more often, if you know what I mean. So they do have to fix it and, and get on with it. Well, last, I was going to say, and not least, but in terms of performance, they are they are least, is Williams. Just one point for Williams, Robert Kubica for 10th in Germany, which was only after the two Alphas had been given a 30-second penalty. That's still being appealed, so it's possible they could lose the point. But as was well documented, they were late with the car, so they had production problems. They struggled badly. In Hungary, we did start to see some signs of promise. George Russell was very, very close to making it into, into Q2 on merit. And that was, they relative to the midfield, that was a very strong performance, although actually they're, they're closest to the, the front-running pace for Silverstone, if, if memory serves. What we can say is, disastrous start for Williams, but there are signs of progress, so they're, they're, they're getting somewhere with it. Uh, yeah, I think they are. I think we've got to give them another couple of races before we see the, the benefit of it. I think George Russell, from my point of view, is an excellent driver he's had a really um, good season really impressive really good and and the, the maturity that will bring what to him and the the knowledge the you know the the depth of understanding of development direction or lack of or whatever you like to call it is is much much better you know there's lots and lots of people that can sit in a good car and drive it quickly but whenever you sit in a bad car and you have to just take all that and suddenly poof, your world's gone wrong completely and keep your head and just get on with it um, and he'll he'll be learning all that this year. Now, you know, hopefully it won't destroy his career. Hopefully it will make his career in the longer term. Um, and I think a lot of people can see that he's he's doing a very strong job. 
Um, but what we need to sort of, sort of try and work out is why they why they had the problem to begin with. You know, obviously Paddy Lowe was their technical director or whatever you like to call him, um, and he's not there anymore. And obviously he carried the can for it. And you know, I've been there. I've got I've had the chop for the same same reasons. Um, but it's, it's usually you know there's there's something else that's happened on the way there that's led them astray with it. You know, I think we said at the beginning of the year, pre-season testing, it's got all the bits on it, but I'm not sure whether it all works or not. Um, and obviously then there was a few illegal parts on the car they found and they mm. had to change a few bits and pieces. And their award-winning suspension. Yeah, it just <laughs> ends up being um, something that basically you would... It, caused, it set them into a lot of confusion. So I think you can wipe off, you know, half a dozen races this year you know three months of this year as a sort of shock to where they were really and, and trying to regroup without knowing what you had to regroup and obviously with Paddy going and that it was just a big big change Patrick back there I think maybe just gives him a little bit of stability I don't think Patrick's up to, to that much up to speed with with the racing cars as, as they are right now he's up to speed with engineering very very solid in that front so he, I think he can be realistic about it all and keep their feet in the ground a little bit and make them realise that you don't, you know, you're not going to get it by panicking. You know, head down, backside up in the air, spinning is not the way to go. You just need to sort of logically go through it all and try and find out the reasons why you're not there. Because they obviously come into the season thinking a that the car was better than last year's car because they got numbers from last year's car, they got numbers from this year's car. Why wouldn't they, you know, think it was better? Well, it's interesting. They they seem to almost go too far down there obviously what you talk about about being consistent downforce etc obviously if you take that to an absurd extreme you, you can oh, take, yeah. you can take the eye completely off the ball of peak downforce and that seems to be one of the problems and car things start the season overweight just lots and lots and lots of problems and they still actually have had as recently as Hockenheim problems with new parts going on and just shaking themselves yeah, yeah, to, right. to, to pieces if you like and falling off so there's there's little signs still of those weaknesses uh, in, in that team yeah, I mean, it's all that stuff you need to fix and you identify and, 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 and as I keep saying, identify and rectify. If you can fix all that sort of stuff, because you can't have bits falling off. Now, you know, you take an aerodynamic component, in the wind tunnel you'll specify something, a turning vein in the barge board too. You know, you'll, you'll sit there and, and it will not move. You know, you're not, you haven't got this engine creating a harmonic through the chassis, vibrations. You haven't got it going over bumps, curves, jumping up and down. You know, you haven't got these bits moving. So, and you'll play with that little turning vein, for example, let's say you'll move it, you know, one or two degrees one way and one or two degrees the other way and you'll say, oh, that's the best there. That's good. Let's have it there. And then you go out in the track and A, as you say, they fall off or B, they're rattling around like you can't believe. Is that doing the job it should do? I don't think so. You know, the thing is that, you know, you, the first thing you need to have is that all the bits are where you think they are because half the problems in these, some of these cars come from the fact the bits aren't where they think they are. You look at those T-wings, for example, uh, lots of times bouncing up and down, front wings bouncing up and down. That is not simulated in the wind tunnel, you know, not not at all. And some cars, we put up with it because it's happening and the car's still okay. On some cars, it's doing it and the car's not okay, you know. So where do you draw the line and say it's, you know, it's the bits moving that's causing me grief or it's the bits uh, that are not moving and they're too heavy now that's causing me lap time. So you've got to be able to build a car that uh, is down to the weight limit, has all the bits stiff enough and rigid enough to give you the numbers that 
the wind tunnel predicts. Then you've got a thing you can work on. But if everything's moving around and bits are falling off, as Kibitsa was saying, you've got yourself a bit of a difficult situation. And um, so Williams as a team, you know, they, they should be able to be standing up and be counted because they're, they've had a lot of good history. Um, and at the minute, I think they're doing the right thing. This year's a disaster for them. And all they can do is learn and try and understand and make sure that they start next year, you know, with a step forward. But at the minute, they're, you know, their average is, what is it, 4.3% off the front row and they're 2% off the next team ahead of them. Um, that's a big, big improvement. You know, to find two seconds just to, just to get to be ninth instead of tenth is a huge task. That's on your convenient one minute, 40 second oh, lap. On my one minute, 40 second lap. Yeah, well, there's lots of them, isn't there? They're, they're all around the place. We'll be seeing them at Spa, probably well, close enough to sort of uh, understand That's them, true, but, yeah, yeah. But they need to, you know, the, the question, one of the questions that needs to be asked is, at, at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, which is a, a track that's, you know, it's pretty pretty demanding in every sort of degree. Fast corners, slow corners, change of direction, slaloms, you know, the whole bit. And they were they got their their average this, this season so far is four point three percent, and yet they're only three point one percent off there, and that's exaggerated because this is all taken from the fastest time that the car does on the weekend. Now you, you'll see that the the quick guys, you know, in the first session, the quick guys don't have to wring the car's neck, so they're you know they move forward further as the as the as the track gets better and the fact they wring the car's neck, so that number would be smaller if you really did a lot of detailed analysis of it, but you'd be you'd be inventing numbers of track improvement and all that stuff. So but three point one percent around Silverstone, that that's you know, that's acceptable. That's not you know, that's not stupid. Um and why was it? Why was it there at Silverstone? So that's the things they've got to look at and see what they had at Silverstone that meant the car was in a better position. Um but all they can do is say this season's a write off. And um to be honest, you know, I, I was really a big fan of Robert Kubica to come back, and I'm really pleased he did come back. But he's probably not doing them that much good now. To be honest, you know, I think George Russell's doing them a lot of good, but I don't think Robert's doing them that much good um, as far as the fact that you know he is what we like to call him. You know, he's out of his arm. He he is a bit of a passenger in some of the some of the corners well, as he calls it is it his limitation it's yeah you know, it's, it's not a limitation it's all things considering yeah very good what he's doing is yeah. I think it's sensational he's able to come in and do a yeah. you know do a solid job score a point really impressive but yeah I don't think he's taking a team forward the same as George Russell is for the future but that's all, all in my opinion Williams can do is, is bite the bullet for this season make sure you get as big a learning curve as possible into it try and stuff just just trying stuff, just making sure that you understand what stuff does, um, and really looking at why why you started the season so badly. Because um, as, as again said at the beginning of the season, you get all the all the bets on the car, but you know, um, are they in the right place? And as I say, that's why I went into that thing about things flexing and stuff. You you just can't live with all that stuff. You know, you have to make sure you know what you've got. So um, time will tell if they keep on this little improvement that they've got. Um, it will be interesting to see. I mean they. You know, it's just one of those sort of things where um, recent point were three point four percent. I know there was reasons for it. I know it was, you know, because of um, the Perez not getting his lap and at the end of qualifying and all that stuff. But they're they're there, um, and Toro Rosso were two point eight percent off the pace, and Renault were two point six percent off the pace at, at Hungary, and Williams were only three point two. So suddenly you're talking single numbers to to actually find that step at that given race. So let's see what happens at Spa and uh, 
and Spa and Silverstone, you know, they're not the same by any means, but they're in the same direction. So um, it'd be interesting to see how they go at Spa. Yeah, long hard season for Williams, certainly. Well, thanks very much for your uh, your in depth analysis of all of all ten teams, Gary. And of course, if you've enjoyed listening to Gary. Every uh, every few weeks on autosport.com, we have Ask Gary, where if you email a question into askgary at autosport.com, or uh, we, we always put uh, requests out on Instagram and Twitter and social media platforms for questions. So if you have a question for Gary, he will attempt to to answer it. So email uh, askgary at autosport.com for that. So do check out autosport.com for the latest from the world of Formula 1 and the rest of motorsport on our plus subscriber area for in-depth features by star writers, including, of course, Gary Anderson. Check out sister titles motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly and motorsport news out every wednesday and if you like the podcast do subscribe obviously it's free we're out every monday and thursday like us on the Spreaker website or give us a, a review if you feel so minded thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another world sport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.